Namaste, and welcome to The Other VIP, where we talk to change leaders around the world who are engaging communities and empowering people to access meaningful opportunities and pathways out of poverty. We delve into the sustainable solutions, the VIP of ventures, innovations, and partnerships that are generating social, economic, and ecological gains for the most disadvantaged. I'm your host, William Sparks. Pack your bags, because today we are going to Senegal. I'm very pleased to introduce John Leary. Let me give you a little background on John. John was in the Peace Corps in Senegal for two years. He worked in agriculture and economic empowerment throughout Africa. He's the executive director of Trees for the Future. He's fluent in three languages, including Wolof, the language of Senegal. And he's also the author of a very insightful book, One Shot, Trees as Our Last Chance for Survival. John Nagadef, as I believe it is said Man- in Wolof, welcome Mangifi, to the show. Mangifi, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, you work in Senegal a lot. You have extended family in Senegal, but today you're calling in from the U.S., Correct, right? Correct, yeah. yeah. I'm in Maryland today. Yeah. Uh, COVID has restricted a lot of our travels, uh, but your organization has been working in Senegal since 2003, I believe? Correct, yeah. And uh, we have been working with communities and the programs constantly been building, planting trees, changing lives. Tell us a little bit about Senegal. You know, Senegal is is fascinating because in, in the northernmost part of Senegal, you're touching the desert and the Mauritanian desert. And then in the south, in the Casamance, it's forest and jungle almost. Uh, so throughout Senegal, you have this kind of spectrum. And right in the African Sahel there, you see rich culture, you see wonderful food, wonderful people, uh, but a lot of environmental challenges as well as it comes to livestock, and desertification, land degradation. So happy to be talking to you today about uh, how we can fix a lot of the challenges. Now, set us up with that challenge. Uh, your, the title of your book is pretty severe. You know, one shot trees as our last chance for survival. Um, so tell us about the challenge facing Senegal and, and the farmers of Senegal. Yeah, as, you, as you look at the history of Senegal and it mimics so many countries around the world, if you look at really the last 50, 60, 70 years, uh, the cropping systems of major staple crops and common cash crops that are grown in Senegal, it happens to be peanuts. Um, and a lot of the cash crops, the peanuts and others are so environmentally destructive that there's been this trend starting all the way at the coast when they first came in and band after band after band spreading across the country, peanut cultivation specifically, and the, the pretty destructive monocropping systems have eliminated forest cover, eliminated tree cover, um, eliminated a lot of different species. We're losing all kinds of local native fruit tree species, the animals, the biodiversity. Um, and with that, land productivity is, is diminished. Farmers, we see agriculture is destroying the landscape, but it's also, it's failing to feed families who are farmers. You know, farmers can't feed themselves with the cropping systems anymore. And it's, it's kind of sad when uh, you know, the, 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 the agricultural systems and land use systems just aren't meeting people's needs. Now, you talk about in your book about monocropping. 
And when uh, those of us who work in agriculture, we're often trying to get farmers onto cash crops. Like that's the great thing, move them off of subsistence farming, get them to a cash crop so they can make the money. But you come down pretty hard on monocropping and the contribution to this land degradation is all of us and our demand for these products at the lowest price, but it's that forcing on monocropping. Can you talk a little bit about how you see that monocropping in our diet? I do, because it's, you know, it's an approach and it's an approach to agriculture that largely has come out of the green revolution and it's spread around the world. And farmers kind of learn to do what many of our farmers in the United States do here is, you know, clear the land, uh, plant one common monocrop, one intensified crop. And over time, it's, it's somewhat, you know, it degrades the soil. Uh, you lose your tree cover. Uh, poison some soil. And what, what we're seeing in our diversification strategy um, is a lot like, so in our own retirement accounts, if I, you know, the advice that my, my, my retirement financial advisor gives me is not, you know, put, is not to put all my eggs in one basket, but is to diversify my retirement into many different things in a, a mutual funds rather than any one stock. Uh, and in agriculture, when you're doing a monoculture, you're asking the farmer to bet everything on one number and you're asking him to put all his or her eggs in, in one basket. Um, our diversification strategy, you know, it kind of hedges your bets a bit um, and it gives you more paydays throughout the year. It gives you a lot more resilience. Even if you get one great payday a year, it's still hard to manage your cash flow throughout the entire year as a farmer who might get one big cash crop payday after the rainy season or um but for us, it's, it's diversity, it's strength and diversity, um, it's power and diversity, and it's in the natural community, but it's also in economics. It works a lot better for you know, the home economics of a family having more paydays throughout the year from more sources of income. So when you talk about diversification strategy and that mutual fund in agriculture, you and Trees for the Future, uh, create a forest gardens, which is your portfolio of diversity. Uh, and you've built a lot of forest gardens throughout Senegal. Describe for us, what is a forest garden? And what makes it special? Yeah, and even this year in 2020 with COVID crisis, we've got thousands of families in Senegal. I think it's about 2,500 families can, and there's over eight, eight and a half people per family. So, you know, 16,000 plus people um, who started out the program really as peanut farmers, as millet farmers, and they had one item for which to feed the family. Nutrition was pretty difficult. That's still very common across the landscape. And all of those other millions of families who aren't playing, planting forest gardens yet had a pretty difficult year. They had one thing to eat. Um, markets were struggling. You couldn't, you know, the, the transportation had stopped in between regions. Um, people were highly vulnerable if they had put all of their eggs in one basket. The forest garden, on the other hand, takes degraded plots. And we have um, thousands of families who are graduating this year and they've got these beautiful four or five year old forest gardens. And what they have is quite simple. It's quite beautiful. If you can imagine a hectare of land, which is about two acres, about a football field or a soccer field um, in size, and you can imagine the first thing that we do is we plant a big thorny wall of trees around the border. 
And on your average farm, if you walk around the border, it, the border usually doesn't have anything there. It's usually the dead space in between your field and another field. Well, we plant valuable, beneficial, thorny trees that not just keep the animals out, but also give a lot of fruit. So now you have a green wall that's giving you fruit to sell. We put tall trees that form a windbreak and you end up forming, farmers are able to form these green walls around their hectare sized land that dampens not just wind and storms, uh, but it keeps the pests out. It keeps the goats, the cattle, the sheep. And in, in, in near Kedigu, Senegal, we had hippopotamus that was ramming into the side of the Acacia nilotica living fence and it couldn't get in um, because inside is where all the goodness is. And that's where farmers are able to diversify their fields, oftentimes for the first time, with things they can eat, things they can sell, um, you know, in the cropping system and, and some of the land use systems where livestock are wandering throughout the dry season, um, you know, uh, most people will do their staple crops, cash crops during the, the rainy season, but it's, it's hard to do anything in the dry season. Well, now, within the protection of these green walls, not only are there fruit trees growing, there's rain-fed agriculture, um, there's peppers and squash and watermelon families that have access to water who are either able to have a, a water tap there or who cart their water in are able to do more permagardening. And they end up having dozens, a, a portfolio of fruit trees. So not just mangoes, but early season, mid season, late season mangoes and some citrus and guavas. So you got your fruit trees, you got permagardens growing in between. I'm happy to explain a bit about permagardening and really kind of market-based gardens that, you know, incorporate the best ideas of, of sustainably and regeneratively growing things together and companion planting. And we put all kinds of wonderful ideas into the forest garden training program that we are rocking. We've got 17,000 families right now across five countries in Africa who are going through the same process. They're planting the green wall around the edge. They plant the fruit trees. They plant the permagarden. Um, We've been tracking the food security numbers of the program. We've been tracking, um, you know, numbers of marketable crops and uh, full kind of environmental, economic, and social indicators across the board. So as executive director, when you sit back and look at this garden that is providing money, it's providing health through the nutritious foods, it's protecting the land and the topsoil, uh, what do you look at as your measures of success to say that this forest garden is successful? Yeah, the, it's a great pleasure for me to see families both in the beginning when they're just getting started and they really have, you know, they kind of know what they're doing because they saw neighbors grow forest gardens and improve their lives, but they really don't know what their own is going to look like. Um, and then to be able to come back in three, four years and, and to see the calm in the faces of moms and dads when life is, 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 is so challenging to begin with for all of us, you know, getting through each day, week, month, year, um, years like this, 2020 has been a real wallop to, to everybody around the world. Um, I think the stress lines are a lot fewer. I think, um, people my age, I'm 42, uh, who are starting families, uh, who start off maybe with babies and all, and I see them, you know, for a few, few, three, four years later, and the family may have grown, but 
and the, the, the calm and peace and stability. Um, this year in COVID, all of the families in our program that I'm going to get a chance to, to visit after the pandemic fades, um, they were successful this year. They, they were in COVID crisis with 180, about 200 to 250 fruit trees of all sorts feeding their families throughout the year. The food security, or sorry, the hunger um, has faded even in, in very challenging times. So, you know, I think that's a, on a personal note, I, I love to see that I, I meet the farmers. I meet many of the farmers in our program. And um, as the, you know, as the executive director, I think just really being able to uh, connect with the farmers and, and to see the, 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 the life-changing um, process that people go through um, is, is what I get. We track lots of numbers. Numbers are important too. Um, million, how many millions of trees we've planted each year is important. We'll plant over 30 million this year. We're hoping to plant over 60 million next year. Um, so, you know, we, we track other things as well. Um, I've been telling the story of more loom recently in a number of presentations that I give. I've got beautiful pictures of when we started out in the family and the, the fields, you know, when they've been monocropped for 50 years, it looks like the surface of the moon. And, um, and now he's got cashew trees towering up above, and he's got timber trees breaking through. Um, he's got all kinds of vegetables growing in there. The jujubes uh, are a good vitamin C rich fruit, and they help fill out the living fence all the way around the field. And, um, and I get to visit more, and I would not have accepted anything from more when he first got started. You know, the rule at, at our at Trees for the Future is there's no no eating in the field. Um, and when farmers offer you tea or anything, we respectfully decline. But now when I go, William, I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna eat some fruit. We're gonna slice open some of the biggest guavas you've ever seen. And, you know, and he'll be happy to share a, a juicy watermelon. And I think, you know, some of those pleasures are, are particularly enjoyable. Now, how do you scale up within a country um, to get forest gardens um, spreading. I imagine as some families see other forest gardens, they see that, but what's the infrastructure you need to put into place to support the growth of these forest gardens from a material perspective, as well as an yeah, educational I, you perspective? Know, I, think, I think many people would agree with me that market-based agroforestry will change the world. Uh, we try to be very market-based as we go through this. I mentioned the diversification strategy, and we want to see that. We're not looking for, you know, monocrops to, uh, to scale. We want to see the diversity grow, but we can build it around key market drivers. So when buyers are interested in specific commodities, um, when farmers have market opportunities to all kinds of different things we've seen from juice places to alcohol to, you know, all obviously the, you know, all the food agribusinesses and all the, the different the horticulture. Um, there's always ways to take these key market drivers and plant things above it, below it, around it, you know, and it's going to help the key market drivers. So if somebody's really interested in maize value chains and maize production, well, Maize is going to grow best if it's in a forest garden and it has nitrogen fixing trees around it, protecting it and keeping the pests out and building up the soil. And if somebody's, you know, if the market opportunity is, is a fruit juice, you know, uh, a processor down the street, um, 
the fruit trees are also going to do better if there's a bit of diversity around them. If they're protected by the wind from the wind, you know, by these these wind breaks around them, and there's nitrogen fixing trees attracting pollinators and natural enemies to pests. Uh, we do we 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 happy to talk a lot about pest management and some of our latest ideas on integrated pest management because with the trees you get all kinds of different benefits in addition to more things to eat and different ways to protect the land and, and the farm. And that would lead to the sustainability you're talking about, both from the market perspective, having diversification and being market led. Uh, they've got a variety of products to pick from, to sell. And if one is doing better than the other, they've got that diversification, as well as you talked about the diversification from a environmental perspective, the different uh, trees uh, supplementing the soil for the others. Um, so they're offsetting. So you've really got sustainability baked yeah, into right now, your product. And right now we're reaching out to our friends at USAID and other you know, potential partners in country who have been building the capacity of over a hundred producer groups throughout the country. And these producer groups aim at uh, focus on producing millet and maize and peanuts and other usual, usual crops. Well, we can, uh, you know, in terms of scaling, we can work with all of these groups uh, to bring agroforestry techniques that are going to help those crops grow better, be more resilient, um, Earlier this year, we had here in the United States, across the Caribbean to Texas, the eastern seaboard, uh, into the central United States, we had a massive dust storm sweep across uh, West Africa, it came across the Atlantic Ocean and, and came into this hemisphere and was just massive. It, 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 it was terrible for air quality um, and there was a lot of coverage on it. Well, you know, we can we can help a lot of these environmental changes by in, investing in, in diverse systems that have a lot of trees in them and um, by working with thousands and thousands and hopefully one day millions and millions of farmers, millet farmers, peanut farmers, you know, everybody who's clearing the land, planting monocultures and by showing all of them how to plant rows of trees around the field, across the field diversify with fruit trees. You can still keep growing all of those things, but how do you diversify? How do you go from playing the stock market uh, into having more of a mutual fund of trees, bushes, crops, some seasonal things? And in our, in our world, we're able to even get, we get into honey and we get into uh, medicinal things and other things, which also bring an incredible amount of money, but you can't get there until you start thinking vertically uh, and not just horizontally. You mentioned USAID, the United States Agency for International Development through whom the United States uh, provides grants and contracts to development organizations mm -hmm. who support other countries and Trees for the Future uh, partners with international organizations to help put uh, this methodology Correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, USAID through the TOPS program actually invested in helping us develop out the forest garden approach and the multi-year training program that helps farmers kind of stair step and protect their field, diversify their production and optimize their land. And in it, we were able to reach out to a lot of organizations and learn the best ideas uh, that we had seen, that others had seen, and we put it all together 
into the forest garden approach. So it's the best ideas in regenerative agriculture and agroforestry designed specifically for smallholder farmers, because it's different if you have a, a thousand acres versus you know, one acre or two acre. And um, we've, uh, we've packaged it all together. Uh, USAID has supported us and it's really our mandate is to help take it out. Uh, any organization that's working in, in food security and um, also trying to kind of green value chains and integrate agroforestry. That's, that's why we're here and that's why we've created it. So not only does Trees for the Future partner with organizations, but individuals can support the work that you do. How we can have a lot of wonderful people who have do? joined our tribe over the years. Uh, we're 31 years old. We have thousands of individuals who donate at trees.org. Uh, and we're grateful for, for everybody's support. We have a number of corporate sponsors as well, brand partners who um, have found ways to plant trees through the apparel that they sell, uh, the watches, the t-shirts, um, other common uh, environmentally friendly products that um, are, um, we have hundreds of, of wonderful ideas and, and wonderful brand partners. And they've been very supportive of you know, trying to plant trees over the years as well. Um, we're starting to find more, more and more partners. Um, and uh, we're just kind of grateful right now to see a, a good uh, global groundswell of interest in planting, you know, people are talking about planting trillions of trees and we're at the table. Um, people are talking about planting a great green wall and we're also at the table there. And because of the support of so many people supporting Trees for the Future over the years and all of our individual donors, we've got hun over 100,000 people online, social media, uh, just, you know, sharing the love every day. And uh, with that now, we're, you know, grateful to be able to to, to go to all of the partner organizations who are working in food security. Uh, we mentioned the USAID network that we're trying to get, take our, our solution to. And also we're, we're taking it to the United Nations. We're taking it to the food, the FAO, um, the International Organization of Migrants is supporting our work uh, because helping young people plant forest gardens is making a lot of money and giving people some, some wonderful ways to kind of in, invest in themselves. Um, we're finding uh, that through the United Nations, we've got just endless people wanting to learn regenerative techniques and to, and to find out how they can, you know, help plant a trillion trees on this planet. And uh, so we're just, you know, appreciate the support. Happy to, happy to find more, more tree planters out there. We're training, you know, we've worked on training in the past and uh, we're, 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 it's a training challenge too. Uh, how do we build enough, you know, training and education to help all the farmers and all the trainers and all the organizations do it. So um, we're pushing as many training solutions as we can, as we can create. And the website yeah. is easy yeah. enough, trees.org. Trees yeah. And also the book that uh, you wrote, which, you know, very rarely do I come across a, a book that's a very complex technical topic that's really accessible. And uh, I, I think the book uh, does a nice job of laying out the exact problems and the solutions. And the book, One Shot Trees as Our Last Chance for Survival on yeah, Amazon. And it, or it's any also an audible um, if people want to listen to it as well. And uh, all the proceeds go to Trees for the Future. Uh, so I encourage you to buy a book and send it to someone as well. Um, it was a wonderful experience writing One Shot. Uh, I learned quite a bit. 
had a good idea of what we had seen over decades of, of the impact of our food systems. But when you get right into it and you really start doing the research, it's, it's kind of scary what you start to uncover. And I like to ask uh, our, our experts that we have on, on these calls here, what is one lesson you've learned that you wish you knew at the beginning? <clears throat> one lesson I wish I knew at the beginning. Um, hmm. Well, two things come to mind. Um, I, you know, I'm learning about my own health and nutrition. Um, the more I understand agriculture, the more I understand and, and, and provide advice to agroforestry programs and provide advice to what's in the best interest of families. And as we're ending hunger, I've learned so much on my own about the importance of healthy eating and nutrition, uh, you know, red vegetables, green, orange. Uh, and I've managed nowadays to, to connect uh, to farmers in my area and source very healthy food for my family. Um, I wish I had started on that 20 years ago. And, you know, we just didn't know. We didn't know the impact of our foods. We didn't know the chemicals that were being used. But I wish I had gotten attuned to that a, a lot earlier. Um, professionally, I'm super excited right now about the farmer groups that we're partnering with. And I wish that we had moved a bit quicker in finding some, uh, some of these large farmer groups. Um, right now, we've got some very large maize producer groups in both East and West Africa that are going to benefit tremendously from our forest garden approach. And so I do, I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit that we hadn't reached out, you know, a couple of years ago, because uh, some of the, the cooperatives have so many thousands of farmers in them that it's, it's a wonderful way just to, to reach a whole lot of people who can benefit from, from tree planting. Both good lessons. Uh, John, I want to say thank you very much uh, for being on the call here today and, of course, for all the work that you're doing with trees and hope that uh, our listeners can benefit from your work and perhaps this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, William. And thank you, listeners. For listening to The Other VIP, where we look at the sustainable solutions, the VIP of ventures, innovations, and partnerships that are generating social, economic, and ecological gains for the most disadvantaged. Thank you so much, and have a great day.